This is a reminder you're listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show live and participate in the quiz and the prizes and all the other fun things that happen on Faith FM Breakfast Show, then simply download the Faith FM app available on Apple or Android platforms. Welcome back to Faith FM, continuing into our encounter with God section. But before we do, we have to do another clue for the quiz. Who am I? I was Sarah's Egyptian maidservant. Okay, so this was an Egyptian woman. Who was it? Hmm. If you know the answer, 1-800-324. There's not a lot of Egyptian women named in the Bible. There's not. And I would think, considering the time period, this would have been early into the the existence of... Of Egypt itself. Yeah, yeah, early, early Egypt for sure. Early, early. Uh-huh. So there you go. Sarah's Egyptian maidservant. If you know who it is, give us a call 1 800 324 843. And of course, we have to remind you our giveaway for today um, is the book Celebration Living Life to the Fullest. Um, this book is just full, as it claims here in its little description, um, use uh, straightforward advice of expert doctors and nutritionists at Adventist Health Ministries to live the abundant life that Jesus wishes for you. So if you want to experience that, if you want to experience increased health, yeah, give us a call, 1-800-324-843. Now, Lyle, Encounter with God. Yes, before we get to Encounter with God, I need to talk about what is happening this weekend in Armidale. Oh, okay. Um, oh, yeah, I know what's happening. What's happening in Armidale? Um, well, oh, man, I hope I know what's happening. <laughs> okay. um, Take pr- a guess at what it might be happening in Armidale. Is it prophetic? It is prophetic. It's prophetic. Yay! <laughs> so, uh, Matt Parrow will be speaking. Mm. Jeff Yulden will be speaking. Lyle South will be speaking. That, 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 that dodgy guy on radio will be speaking. <laughs> Ah, uh, you should come up to Armadale, Lawson. You should join the club. This weekend. This weekend. Mate, I'm too happening. busy. I've yeah, got yeah, too much stuff to do. Busy. I'm in high demand. I'm sorry, Lyle. Um, <laughs> oh, <dude. laughs> but hey, if you're in the Newcastle area and you wanna you wanna join us for our year, you know, one of the first uni care groups for the year, you can come along to the university campus. But if you're not doing that, then please go to Armadale. It is going to be such a blessing. And, of experience. course, if, you, if you're in Armadale, it's the Adventist Church in Armadale. Mm. Um, so, yeah, speakers coming from all over Australia to be part of Prophetica up there. And, um, mm. of course, Prophetica is a program that happens on a fairly regular basis. The big one coming up in Newcastle um, later on this year, which is going to be truly amazing. It's go- like it's in the Civic <coughs> Theatre, Lyle. Like, yes. Have you been to the Civic Theatre? No. It's Incredible. I'm like so stoked. This is going to be amazing. Yeah, it will be. It will it's be. be. It'll awesome. be a big one like the uh, the Toowoomba one was. And uh, yeah, just outstanding. So mm. uh, yeah, make sure you be there. Be a part of the program. Anyway, Encounter with God, we are in Daniel chapter 7. We have two days to cover the subject of the Antichrist. Yes. So we're going to go fast. Oh, yep. Um, you got an NLT. I can. I have my New King James in my. Backpack. Let's give it a go. Let's see how we go. Okay. Let's see if we can survive it. All right. All right. When it comes to apocalyptic prophecy and symbolic prophecy, you really, what you need, what you'll find is that you're going to need to have a more word-for-word translation. Mm than a thought translation. The thought translation is great for devotional reading, that kind of stuff. But when it comes to the nitty-gritty, when you're actually doing serious Bible study, you need to one that is closer to a word-for-word, one that aspires to be. There's no such thing as a word-for-word translation because that's impossible. 
But you need... Lyle, <coughs> <laughs> of course, has uh, the coughs at the moment. But yeah, just continuing on from from that thought. Um, yeah, I guess when it, when it comes to studying uh, Bible prophecy where, you know, the usage of words is so important and there's so much meaning in a particular word and not from an abstract point of view, not from an airy-fairy point of view, but, but from the point of view of, you know, it's talking about literal events and it's it's trying to use the correct words. Yeah. yeah. A, a word-for-word translation is definitely and the for, way And for to some do. reason, I can usually make it through to the beginning, the first section of Encounter with God before my throat completely packs it in uh, with this current <coughs> lung infection that I have. And so, if I suddenly cut out every now and then, you know why. Mm-hmm. And if you suddenly don't cut out and start coughing, we also know why. But <laughs> Daniel chapter 7. So, La, where are, we, where are we picking up from? Okay, we're going to pick up from Daniel chapter 7. Oh, I'm in Genesis 7. That's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> that was what we were doing with Baron a moment ago. So, let's try Daniel 7. And we are going to pick up from verse 7 and 8. If you could read that for us, please. Yes, I can. Verse 7 and 8, the Bible. Okay, so basically what we're looking for is, before we get to it, identifying characteristics Mm. by which we can identify who the Antichrist is. Yes. And we are going to name the Antichrist here on Faith FM Radio tomorrow. Ooh. We are going to name names. Yes. So, you do not want to miss this particular encounter with God. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so we start in verse 7 and verse 8. We're going to look for identifying characteristics. The two most important identifying characteristics that you can find in relationship to Bible prophecy are those characteristics that are going to give you time and place. Mm. So the geographical location in which the prophecy happens, whereabouts on earth is it going to be fulfilled, and the time period during which that is going to take place. Mm. If you've got that's like grid references on a map, it's going to tra- take you straight to your... Um, those are the most powerful clues that you've got, and they'll take you straight to your identity. So we're going to look for... These, these verses here <clears throat> are going to give us both the geography of whereabouts the Antichrist will rise to power mm. and the time period in which the Antichrist will rise. Okay, so let's read verse 7 and 8. Then in my vision that night, I saw the fourth beast, terrifying, dreadful, and very strong. It devoured and crushed its victims with huge iron teeth and trampled their remains beneath (laughs) its feet. It was different from any other beast, and it had ten horns. I was looking at the horns. Uh, Suddenly, another small horn appeared among them. Three of the first horns were torn out by the roots to make room for it. This little horn had eyes like like human eyes and a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. Okay, so we have the geographical location revealed to us in this passage right here. Ooh. Can you pick where it is? And by the way, well, yeah, no, can you, can you pick where it is from, the, from these verses, Lawson? Well, when I uh, look at this, it says that the next beast, it comes, you know, from where the other beasts are coming from. So I would say, you know. Okay, so it's coming from the same <coughs> heavily populated region of the earth. Mm. Um, and all of the other beasts have come from, you know, the uh, Europe and Asia. That, 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 Europe and Asia. That, those, where those two continents meet. Mm. So it starts there, but then it gives us this whole idea of ten horns. Okay, where do those ten horns come from? Whereabouts are they located? Well, the only place we can know, um, like, I think it, it, you know, starting with, okay, how can we know that ten horns is, 
you know, relative to a location is when we start to unpack the interpretation of the prophecy later in the in the chapter. All right, but let me says, give you a real simple one. Oh, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> They're in the head of the fourth beast, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we know, sure. And, and the fourth beast is Imperial Rome. We know that from yesterday. Yes. Okay. So we know these ten horns are going to. They're not. They're not separate from Imperial Rome. They mm-hmm. come up out of Imperial Rome. Okay. Yes. All right. So you see where I'm heading with that? Yes. Yes. Fully. And then the Bible says that the little horn comes up among amongst the ten, among mm-hmm. the ten. Mm-hmm. So if the ten horns are coming out of Imperial Rome, we know that Western Rome was divided into ten separate nations. Yes. And we know that the Antichrist is going to arise from Western Europe. Mm-hmm. Plain of and course. Simple. Bam. Because it there comes out of the head of the fourth beast. It comes out of the Imperial Roman Empire. Mm. That's fairly simple, isn't it? Yes, of okay, course. Okay, because some people are like, oh, it's going to come from Israel. No, Israel is in Asia. <laughs> it is not coming from Asia. Mm. It is coming from Europe. I was crystal clear on that. Okay, so if we continue on there, um, that gives us our geographical location for the rise of the Antichrist. A time period. A time period. Well, as you uh, commentated, it comes in amongst the ten horns. But then it gives us this idea um, that it appears, um, you know, after there's ten horns, in amongst them. But then it takes takes out, it makes room, there's room made, it takes out three of these ten horns. Three of the original ten. Yes. So that gives us somewhat of a time period in amongst... Of which it exists. So it comes up amongst the ten horns after they exist, but before um, the three of those ten horns are basically destroyed. So what you then have to do very, very simply is do a little bit of historical research and ask yourself the question, when was it that the Roman Empire was divided into ten separate nations? Mm-hmm. And you're going to find that Western Rome was divided into ten separate nations by the year 476. Having done that... You are then going to ask yourself the question, okay, out of those original ten, by what date had they been reduced to seven? Mm-hmm. And the date that you're going to come to is 538. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Okay, so as I was saying, the date that you're going to come to is the year 538. Mm-hmm. So when you look at the original ten divisions of the Roman Empire, where the Roman Empire was divided into ten separate nations, each of them with their own sovereignty. Um, and then you ask yourself the question, okay, when did when were three of them torn up? Mm. You're going to find that the Antichrist is going to rise somewhere between uh, 476 and 538, which is a very, very long time ago, which means that the Antichrist has been here in the past, is here in the present, and will continue into the future. Mm. Which is very, very different from what, you know, you will hear a lot of in Christianity today when they say, well, the Antichrist is only going to exist for seven years at the very end of time. No, the Antichrist is here right now. Mm-hmm. There is nothing in the Bible that indicates he will only exist at the end of time. The Bible, Paul said this. Paul said that the Antichrist was already there in his yeah, day, wow. but he was just being hidden so you couldn't see him. Wow. Um, <clears throat> the Apostle John said exactly the same thing. Mm. The Antichrist, the Apostle John is the only person who actually uses the word Antichrist. He's like, the Antichrist is already here. Mm. It's in existence right now. Mm. You just can't see it yet. There is something that is holding it back so that we cannot see it. Mm. Okay, so the Antichrist has been here in the past, is here in the present, and will be here in the future. You need to know who the Antichrist is uh, because the Bible says that God will pour out undiluted wrath on those who worship the Antichrist. And, you know, imagine for a moment, just imagine for a moment, God 
you know, coming along and saying, I'm going to pour out undiluted wrath on, on anyone who worships the Antichrist, but I'm not going to really show you who it is. You can sort of sit back and guess about it. Okay, Lyle, this is one of my, like, I honestly, okay, this topic, man, it, it it's like, it's something that this idea that has become pervasive in Christianity that basically the Antichrist and Bible prophecy itself <laughs> is basically this idea that's uh, under the brand of futurism that, you know, none of Bible prophecy is being fulfilled in history and none of it's being fulfilled right now, but it all is fulfilled at the very end of time has caused one of the most monumental shifts towards, you know, the attitude towards Christianity and faith, like, that has been so hurtful to Christianity. Um, because it attacks the character of God? It attacks the character of God. It, like, it basically leaves Christians in this place looking like a bunch of people who have no evidence for their faith and just believe because they believe. Because Bible prophecy is one of the most incredible things God has given us, one of the most incredible tools to assist our faith, to prop us up, you know, to give us real hard evidence and substance. And it's one of the biggest reasons I'm a Christian today is because of Bible prophecy. And now there's this big idea in Christianity um, that... Oh, no, actually, Bible prophecy doesn't matter because it's not happening right now. We can't know who the Antichrist is. We can't know anything that's going on in our world. So you get to extremes. And it's and it's just like, oh, it, I just look towards that and I'm like... One extreme makes so us look like hurtful. fools. And so then the reaction to looking like a fool is to say, well, that, don't worry about that part of the Bible. Mm. And yeah, so basically now there's this idea, don't worry about this part of the Bible and no one's really learning about it. And it, and it just like... I kind of sit there, I'm like, man, no no wonder, um, you know, people in the scientific community look at us like we don't have evidence because we're, the, we're claiming that we don't. This is one of the reasons why we are running Prophetica this weekend yes. up in Armadale. Yes. Is to dispel a lot of these myths mm. and do some myth busting here on uh, the Faith FM Breakfast Show. But interestingly enough, something that we that we might get on to when we talk about the Antichrist tomorrow, that this idea of Bible prophecy um, not relating to us and, you know, not having any effect in our life and that we don't need to study it and whatnot was actually something conceived by them. But I'll, uh, I'll leave that to tomorrow. <laughs> indeed, indeed. We will. <laughs> Hopefully we will have time to, uh, to get to that tomorrow. To cover that because it's an amazing right, We've got a story. bunch more identifying characteristics yes. as we work our way down through here. So this is what we've got so far. Let's summarize. We find that the little horn comes up among the ten horns out of the head of the fourth mm. beast. We know that from that that this is going to arise from Western Europe. Yeah. Number two. When the little horn arises, he arises amongst the ten and uproots three in the process. Mm -hmm. So we could say that the time period period for him arising to power is after the ten have come into existence and before they have re been reduced to seven. So that gives us our time period. We now have time and we have now have the geographical location, which is Western Europe. We now have the time period in which is going to happen. That's between 476 and 538. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> The third and obvious identifying mark is that the little horn is going to be responsible for the uprooting of three of these nations mm -hmm. or the destruction of three of these nations. Mm -hmm. And so that's going to be our third identifying characteristic. Now, of course, why would the little horn be destroying three of these nations? Obviously, these are nations that are going to oppose its rise to power. Mm -hmm. And the year 538 is when that opposition to power of the little horn comes to an end. Mm. 
So we need to be careful how we word that. Sometimes we word it a little bit wrong, but that's uh, probably a, a good way of wording what happens right there. Okay, if we go on from there, the Bible in the end of verse 8 says something unique about this little horn. Mm. What is that? It has eyes like human eyes, and it has a mouth that boasts arrogantly. Okay, my more literal translation says eyes like the eyes of a man. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's going to be significant, but it's going to be more significant tomorrow. We'll mention this again tomorrow. There is only ever a man in relationship to the Antichrist. Mm. Very interesting. Yeah. It's called the man of sin. Wow. This is because clearly we have here the symbol of a horn. Mm -hmm. That's a symbol of a nation. Yes. In Revelation 13, the Antichrist is called the beast. Mm Mm-hmm. That's also a symbol of a nation. Yeah. In Revelation chapter 17, the Antichrist is symbolized by a woman. That's a church. Mm. So we know it's a nation and a church. In uh, 2 Thessalonians, it's called the man of sin. So that's a nation, which is also a church, which also has a man at its head. Mm. And that's pretty much, you know, we we, we get that. Nations tend to have either a man or a woman at their head and mostly men. Mm -hmm. That's reality. Yeah. History. Yes. Um, eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth doing what? Uh, in my translation, it says boasting arrogantly. Boasting ar- Mine says speaking great things, and there's a definition for what that actually means if you go over to Revelation chapter 13. So Revelation 13, and <clears throat> what does it mean to speak great things? In verse 5, speaking about the the little horn, the Antichrist, the beast here, it says there was given to him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. Mm. So speaking great things is, according to the Bible, speaking blasphemy. Now, what we do need to be careful of is that sometimes words will change as you come down through um, history. Mm. The usage of words will change. There's some very famous words that that their usage has changed coming down through history. One of them, of course, is blasphemy. Um, And if you look at the word blasphemy, in the Bible, what we need to do is we need to get a first century definition for blasphemy. Mm -hmm. So we'll look at a couple of these very quickly. There's uh, two of them the Bible gives. Uh, Mark chapter 2 is where we will start. So let's go to Mark 2, and we will read right here uh, the story of Jesus healing the paralytic. Uh, And in verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the this sick person's son, your sins are forgiven you. There were some of the scribes sitting there reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So basically mm. claiming the power to be able to forgive sins, the Bible says, is blasphemy. That's a first century definition usage for the word. If you go over to John chapter 10, and I'll flick over there very quickly, you're going to find the same thing repeated over here. Where it said, where Jesus says, I and my father are one. And the Jews took up stones to throw at him. And Jesus said to them, Many good works have I showed you from my father. For which of those good works do you stone me? The Jews answered and saying, For a good work we don't stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man make yourself God. Now in both these instances, Jesus was God, and Jesus did have the power to forgive sins. Uh, but the first century definition of blasphemy was claiming the power to forgive sins and claiming to be God. Mm. So very simply, you've got a nation church, a church state here that's going to claim the power to be able to forgive your sins and going to claim to be God. Mm. That's fairly simple and straightforward. Okay, if we flick back over to Daniel chapter 7, we're going to find that 
um, the angel Gabriel at the end of the prophecy. It moves on and talks about the judgment. We're going to skip the judgment and come back to it in chapter 8. But the angel Gabriel comes back, and the angel Gabriel is going to explain to Daniel what the vision is all about. And as he explains the vision, he's going to give us more clues as to who the Antichrist, the little horn, is. Mm. So we'll come back and deal with that after we listen to Wendell Kimborough with Seeds of the Kingdom. Jesus scatters the seeds of his kingdom and why he announces new birth I the Lord of creation am making new Every inch of the groaning Like the smallest of seeds in the wind the kingdom of God as it's sown But the powers of hell shall against it fail When the kingdom of God is grown Oh, we wait for the Lord of the harvest And we long for our King Even now in our hearts by the Spirit's power, the kingdom of God is near. He has planted the seeds of His kingdom in the hearts of the God 
course, that was uh, Wendell Kimborough with Seeds of the Kingdom. You're listening to The Breakfast Show. Nobody's entered this quiz yet. What was the prize again? Oh, it was, was a, a book. book. Yeah. It was a book about health. It was a fantastic book, Celebrations. You can get, if you answer this clues correctly, here we go, quiz, sorry, with the help of these clues, I am the mother of Ishmael. Okay, who might that be? Not a major person in the Bible for us, mm. but if you're a Muslim, definitely a major person. Yeah, huge. So give us a call, 1-800-324-843, and if you know who Ishmael's mother was, you will win a prize completely for free. Absolutely. Okay, so getting back to our Bible study, we're going to find that uh, Gabriel's going to come back and Gabriel's going to give us a whole bunch of clues as to the nature of the little horn that is mentioned who is the Antichrist. So we're going to skip down to Gabriel's explanation. We're going to begin in verse uh, verse 19 and 20, please. Mm-hmm. Then I want to- Daniel speaking, by yes. the way. Daniel speaking. Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the force fourth beast, the one so different from the others um, and so terrifying. It had devoured and crushed its victims with iron teeth and bronze claws, trampling their remains beneath its feet. I also asked about the ten horns on the fourth beast's head and the little horn that came up afterward and destroyed three other horns. This horn seemed to be greater than the others, and it had human eyes and a mouth boasting arrogantly. Okay. Notice here that the little horn is greater than the others. Mm. And it's kind of a bit of a uh, contradiction in terms, isn't it? How can you have the little one that is bigger? Mm. Mine says more stout. Yes. And, and so I, this this sort of sort of fascinating. You know, that's the old KJV, more stout. Um, how do you have a little one that is bigger? So I looked up, uh, you know, the original Hebrew here to find out, you know, what's actually going on here. Mm. And the word for stout <coughs> um, that it's translated from comes from a word that is... Powerful and arrogant. Mm. So this one would be small, smaller than the others because the little horn, yeah. but more powerful than all the rest. Mm. So basically the most powerful uh, nation that you have in Western Europe, which is, I guess, a kind of way of looking at it. You know? mm. And it's small. It's very small. Mm. Massive clues right there as to who the Antichrist might be. Okay. Anyway, verse uh, 21. Um. As I watched, the horns were the this horn was waging war against God's people and defeating them until the ancient ones uh, until the ancient one, the Most High, came and judged in favor of His holy people. Then the time arrived for the holy people to take over the kingdom. Okay, so what is the Antichrist doing in verse twenty-one? It is making war with the saints. Okay, bitterly persecuting the saints. Mm. Um, so this is not going to be an organization that believes in any form of religious liberty. This is going to be an organization that is persecuting viciously, violently, has a history of horrific Mm. persecution against God's people. Okay, let's go down to verse 24 um, and verse 25, where the conversation between Daniel and the angel continues. 
Its ten horns are ten kings who will rule that empire, which is mentioned in the previous verse about the fourth beast. That's right. Then another king will arise, different from the other ten, who will subdue three of them. He will defy the Most High and oppress the holy people of the Most High. He will try to change their sacred festivals and laws, and they will be placed under his control for a time, times, and half a time. Okay, so I'm going to read verse 25 for you from the KJV. And then we're going to work through it. It says here in verse 25, He shall speak great words against the Most High. We already read about that. That's blasphemy. Mm-hmm. And we found that you know the biblical definition, the first century definition for blasphemy, um, because this is repeated in Revelation in the first century, is claiming to be God or claiming to, to be able to forgive sins. Those two things right there. Then it continues on. It says in the KJV, He'll wear out the saints of the Most High. In other words, He's going to persecute them. Mm. We already read that back in verse 21, so we know about that one. Then it goes on and it says, He will think that he can change times and laws. Mm. This is significant because it's times that he changes and laws. So he's going to change plural time slots, time, times for, you know, timing for various events, more than one, and he's going to change more than one law. Mm. Now we know that the Bible here is speaking about God's times and God's laws. It's not talking about, you know, just, you know, some governmental kind of thing. This is God's times and God's laws. The reason we know this to be the case is because if they were human times and human laws, we can change those. Mm-hmm. You know, we if we wanted to say tomorrow the breakfast show is going to run from 6 till 8 rather than 7 till 9, we could do that right now. Yes. And bang, it would be done. Well, because... The 7 to 9 show is our law. Yes. Well, maybe Michael down in Melbourne wouldn't be Michael down in Melbourne might it. have a bit of a fit. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, okay, let's say that us and Michael okay, and yes, producer yeah, Shell yeah, all course. agreed on it. Um, we could just do that. Yeah. The only law that you can't change is God's law. Mm, sure. And God's law definitely has um, aspects of it that deal with time. Mm. And so we're going to find more than one of God's laws, God's Ten Commandments being changed, and we're going to find times being changed as well. Then it says that the saints will be given into his hand for a time, times, and the dividing or half a time. Now, what on earth kind of language is that? The good thing about this verse here is that it is repeated in seven different places in the Bible. Mm. And every time it's repeated, it's <clears throat> worded quite slightly differently. Basically, what you've got here is a time, that's a year, times, Two years, half a time, half a year, uh, which works out to a total of three and a half years, or using uh, biblical time, as the Bible uses, 1,260 days. Mm. And so in some places you'll find it similar to this passage. In other places it says 1,260 days. In, in Revelation 13 it says 42 months. They are all exactly the same time period. So we know we're dealing with the same time period here of 1,260 days. Now the Bible says... In numerous places, Ezekiel 4, 6 would be one good example. But throughout the Bible, you have this principle that runs where an apocalyptic end-time prophecy, a day symbolizes a year. Mm. So rather than three and a half literal years, you have 1,260 years of persecution. That's a very, very long time period indeed that this particular entity is going to be persecuting God's people. Mm. What we need to find is what is it that actually brings that persecution to an end? Now, 
Uh, Daniel 7 covers it very briefly, but Revelation 13 covers it in some details. We're going to flick over there, Revelation 13. And Lawson, can you read for us in Revelation 13, verse 3? Yeah, verse 3, please. Yeah, sure. The Bible says in Revelation 13, verse 3, I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. The whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. Okay, so basically what you've got taking place here is a fatal wound followed by a miraculous healing. Mm. Now, this is the beast. This is the Antichrist under a different symbol. has seven heads. Those heads um, come consecutively rather than simultaneously. And so if the head receives a deadly wound, you know, if I split your head open with an axe, then it's pretty certain you're going to die. Mm. And then this wound is healed, and as a result of the healing of this wound, the whole world is implicated because the entire planet turns around to worship the beast, worship the Antichrist. Wow. And that's what brings this 1260 years to an end. And so there you've got some really key identifying characteristics as to who the Antichrist is. Um, so if we work from the top, we find it's going to rise in Western Europe between 538 and 4, 476 and 538. It's going to uproot three nations in coming to power. It's going to... Um, speak blasphemy against God, claiming mm. to be God, claiming the power to forgive sins. It's going to be a religio-political movement. It's going to be stronger than the other nations, even though it is smaller. It is going to think that it can change God's law. It's going to persecute God's people. It's going to think that it can change God's times. It's going to persecute for 1,260 years, at which time it will receive a deadly wound followed by a miraculous healing. That's your list of identifying characteristics. What we're going to do is come back tomorrow and we're going to name who the Antichrist is and go through the evidences to why. Anyway, we're going to continue on with the show. This is Alison Brook. It all comes down to glimpsing from the foundation.
Is forgiveness, or the lack of forgiveness, eating away at you? A relationship breakdown maybe, long-term hurt, unresolved conflict. You know, it can be dealt with. If you want to break the cycle and start living a more forgiving life, Forgive to Live is a program designed to help us all improve our lives and be more forgiving. Don't let it eat away at you anymore. If you're keen to discover the power of forgiveness, why don't you take that first step and head to forgivetolive.org.au. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Hi, I'm Dragon. Hi, I'm Nigel. And we'd like to invite you to our church, the, the Southern Illawarra Seventh-day Adventist Church. We meet every Saturday morning at 10.30 a.m. to study the Bible, followed by our main service at 11.30 a.m. You can find us at 107 to 109 Princess Highway, Dapto. We are in the Heininger Hall inside the Dapto Ribbonwood Centre. For more information, you can get in touch with us on Facebook. Just search for Southern Illawarra Seventh-day Adventist Church. Or contact us on 0402-716-762. We hope to see you soon and stay tuned to Face FM. Come before your throne Just as I'm known I long to know you More and more I hear you knock, oh Lord I'll open the door Just to be by you And if I want love I'll come to the cross if I want life, I'll count this life lost Anchor my soul, don't let me drift away And if I want peace, I'll come to the King And if I want release, then you'll have to be Anchor of my soul, don't let me drift away Jesus, I will stay with you said we'll stay with you now that I've begun I feel the rays of the sun Father I'm undone by your glory so let your love shine Lay my life down at your feet. Oh 
with you Yes, I will stay Welcome back, guys. That was Josh White with Anchor of My Soul. You're listening to The Breakfast Show. We have a winner for our quiz this morning. Yes. Congratulations to Elizabeth from Port Macquarie. Please. Well done. What a gun. Yep, absolutely. So. Free uh, celebrations. Celebration health book you'll be getting. And obviously, stay tuned to our, you know, tomorrow and every show we do a giveaway. And you can be blessed and win a prize and know more about the Bible. It's really good. Oh, and of course, the answer was Hagar. It was indeed. Yes. So, Lyle. Yes. Question of the day. Yes. Question of the day. Okay. So, in Revelation 14, the Bible talks about the 144,000, which many people have um, identified as, you know, the group of people who will be alive on this earth when Jesus returns. Yes. Um, but one of the identifying characteristics of them, as it says in verse 4, it says, these are ones who are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. Okay, that's a bit of worry. Are the entirety of the 144,000 people who are unmarried? And is there something more righteous about being a virgin than being married? Yes. Okay, so first of all, their answer is there is nothing uh, inherently more righteous about being a virgin than being a married person. Uh, Sex is a wonderful thing. It's a holy thing. It's a righteous thing. It was given to us by God. And it's, uh, yeah, just fantastic, particularly when practiced within, you know, the the marriage covenant. Yes. Um, The Bible says that they are... Virgins. That does not mean that a virgin is necessarily more uh, righteous. The next thing is that's a bit of worrying because then there's a whole bunch of people who read that verse and like, well, that counts me out. I mean, for me, I mean, I've got two boys, two sons. Mm. Clearly, don't qualify. Yes. Uh, then you know it says um, they have not been defiled with women. So these are not female virgins, and they are male virgins. Mm. So all women should be worried about this verse right here. It's like, are we barred from heaven? <laughs> yeah. You know, what is actually going on here? Okay, so to understand what is taking place in this verse, we need to go back to uh, Matthew chapter 25. And in Matthew 25, uh, Jesus gives us a picture using symbols of what the kingdom of heaven, God's church, is actually looks like. And in Matthew 25, the Bible says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins which took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. So here Jesus very, very clearly, and of course, when he uses the word then, he's connecting it to the previous verses. This is the sermon about the second coming. So he says, you know, at the second coming, God's church will be like ten virgins. Mm. And here, the kingdom of heaven, that includes every person who is a saved person. Mm. And so clearly the Bible is not talking about literal virginity, but spiritual virginity. Now, Mm. spiritual virginity simply means that uh, they are spiritually pure. Now, when the Bible says that these people are not defiled with women, a defiling woman in the Bible is symbolic of an impure church. A pure woman is symbolic of a pure church. And so if they are not defiled with a defiling woman, they are not defiled with an impure church they're not defiled with you know false religion false doctrines false teachings false practices um all these kinds of things these are people who are spiritually pure Mm. but even amongst the the, you know you come down to the 10 virgins here (coughs) which are a symbol of god's church and the bible says that out of those five were wise and five were foolish and so we need to be careful here because 
You know, so often I think we have this attitude like, well, I gave my heart to God 15 years ago and therefore I'm saved and that's it and it's all over and done with. But the Bible says that these, God's church, at the end of time, God's saved people, they're all virgins here in this passage. Mm. That means that they are pure, righteous, saved people covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Mm. Not only that, but the Bible says that they go out with their lamps, with oil in their lamps, and those lamps are a symbol of the Word of God, and that oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So these are Bible-believing, Spirit-filled Christians. Mm. All ten of them, mark this, have lamps and have oil in their lamps. And it speaks about how they go out with you know oil in their lamps, and those lamps are lit. That means that they are spreading light. They are doing evangelistic work. And yet half of them are lost. And so you've got Bible-believing, spirit-filled, evangelistic, soul-winning Christians, and half of them are lost. Mm. And that's a tragedy. And, of course, uh, the lesson we learn from that is the lesson of being prepared. Half of them were not prepared for the crisis that was coming at the end of time, just before the return of Jesus Christ. Anyway, this is uh, Judy Sill with When the Bridegroom Comes, an appropriate song to be listening to right after speaking about those virgins. See the bride and the spirit are one Then won't you who are thirsty invite him to Price 
exultant with the rose when the last are first. And see how his mercy shines as the bridegroom Welcome back, everybody. That was Judy Sill with When the Bridegroom Comes. You're listening to The Breakfast Show. And Lawson has had his head buried in the prize box. Has, yes. Has uh, withdrawn it now with something that he is about to give away for free. Simply going to the uh, first call of through. So give us a call in just a second when he announces what it is. Okay. So we've been uh, on the topic of health today in terms of our news stories and our um, giveaway to uh, our, our giveaway for the quiz. And I decided we'd stay on that theme with the book 10 Choices for a Full Life by Katia Garcia. Uh, and then she has a very English last name, Reinert. So, yeah. <laughs> is that English or is that German? German, something like very, very not Spanish. Uh, not Spanish. I, I had, I had the accent going, and then it's like, oh. Um, but yeah, this is a. F- we, we would expect that, seeing as you lived in Spain for a while. But, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this is a fantastic book. Um, just really about the biblical principles of health and how we can apply them to our life, and also it's quite evangelistic how we can encourage others to apply them to our life. We here at Faith FM are just huge advocates for, um, yeah, good health as the Bible prescribes. And um, it's something that can just really enhance your life, enhance your walk with God. And this is a book that can really help you to get there. So if you would like this book, give us a call 1-800-324-843 and you can just get this book completely for free. No quizzes to answer. Um, You know, interesting verse in the Bible, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. And, I, you know, we see a lot of that going on in the world. People just are kind of oblivious to the health risks that come with a lot of things that they're doing. And um, the Bible is just so awesome because it prescribes, um, yeah, such amazing, it gives us such amazing advice, advice on how to live in this world and be healthy. Uh, but, of course, remember to talk faith, live faith, and act faith, and you will grow strong in Jesus Christ. This has been Faith FM. Such treasure found in Him Who could comprehend His heart and mind His wisdom has no end For from Him, through Him 
Swaying in the grass, Solomon in all his glory, their beauty could not surpass. If God adorns the fading flowers with such tender thoughtfulness, then why should we distrust? Does he not care more for us? Why are you and I so worried? All his treasures, yours and mine. He's never once forsaken us. We can trust he won't this time. So stop your faithless questioning. Our needs are on his mind. Just seek ye first his kingdom. Seek ye first his kingdom. And all the rest he will provide.